You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. It's good to be back with you again. This this week was not feeling super well last week and did not want to pass that on to any of you. And the uh, rest of our crew uh, is recuperating at home as well. It kind of sickness has passed through our house, so... I'm up here, you're out there, I'll give you bumps, whatever, but uh, doing better. I'm well well over it, but um, sniffles here and there. Maybe it's just from worshiping again this morning. It's so good to sing together. So I think if anything of our, the shutdown or whatever and quarantine is just, and vacations, whatever it is, sickness, it's so good to be together with God's people. Now, if you ever stop while you're in the middle of singing and just... Listen, and it's good to listen to the people singing around you. Yeah, especially as you sit up front, you get more of that, but it's wonderful to hear that. So again, thank you, worship team, and for doing that. I'm thankful for Eric uh, Jensen that shared with you all last week, kind of spur of the moment, uh, um, something I'd been wanting to have him here for, for a while. We talked about his elders, and, and here it worked out. He was available. Uh, that's online. If you missed last week, if you were not gone as well, I got that up on the podcast yesterday, uh, you would do well to take a listen uh, to that. So anyway, I appreciate him and others, Mel and Grant, others filling in while we were gone last week and even for this week. Um, just a plug before we get into our message for Sunday School again, we'd love to have each of you join us. If you're an adult, join us for the adult class concerning matters we're discussing. We're going to be discussing racism and the church and how we think about that as believers, as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, and then also thinking about homosexuality and how we deal with that and that sort of idea. So I would invite you to come uh, to that and be part of that time. All right. Well, we're back in Philippians today, Philippians 4 on Second part of this kind of series I've called Lasting Peace in Turbulent Times. We're in verse 6 and 7. So if you want to turn there, Philippians 4. I'll read again 4 through 9. It's worth just reading the entire passage, but our focus today on 6 and 7. I think I've got some pictures, uh, Caleb, from now. This is from last week from Malachi. I just put them all in. So I had just a couple of them. This is from Malachi, all the, the names of God that Eric gave last week and, and then kind of some of his personal stories in there. But Malachi, I didn't count. I think you got probably all of them in there. So nice work and uh, appreciate that. There's another one. Let's see. Keep going. The next one, this is from Kalen. And uh, this was two weeks ago. And I love it. There's the airplane uh, flying through the storms. We talked about turbulent times, turbulence, and the airplane with, with peace on it. So, and what the peace that God gives us. Here's, here's uh, Malachi again, rejoice in the Lord. We covered that as well, to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in God's nearness was kind of that first part of, of uh, lasting peace in turbulent times. And now this week we come to s- such a familiar place. Perhaps many of you have memorized the verses we're going to be covering in some form. Maybe you've sang it in a song. I learned it as a song at camp. I won't sing it to you, but, but uh, so familiar. But let's, before we look and try to understand, let's just read God's Word for what it is. So we're, we're looking at God's Word. I'll start in verse 4 of Philippians chapter 4. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray again. Lord, I just ask again, Lord, joining in prayer with those that have been praying this morning that you would work in each of our hearts as I'm a fellow sojourner with your believers gathered here to worship your name this morning. Lord, we need to put into practice the gracious gifts you've given from this, these couple verses before us. Lord, we struggle. We're weak. Um, the spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Lord, help us to understand. Lord, I, I pray for the words that even I will comment and speak. Lord, that they would, they would be from you. you uh, Lord, we've prayed before. Father, anything here that just strays us, leads us astray from, from your glory, would you just, just let it not be heard? Lord, we want to see you exalted. We want to exalt the Lord Jesus today, no mere man. So Lord, may we do that in the time we have as we look at your holy word. Preserved, these ancient words preserved through the years by your gracious hand. Let us soak them in this morning, Lord, and be changed by them. We pray in your name, amen. Well, this, this particular passage in so many ways today as I as I preach this, I, I preach as just one sitting right alongside of you in the chair in terms of anxiousness. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if who here is anxious. I, my guess is most of us are to some degree, maybe not right now. Maybe you're in a, in a lull, a mountaintop. I, I was anxious yesterday, but it's gone away for today, or you're moving into one. It just it grips, I would dare say, most of us, this idea of worry and anxiety. There's just so much to worry about, right? We're just, there's a whole buffet out there of things we could worry about. I mean, the, this country, and where's this country going to be in a few months or years, or maybe it's shorter, maybe weeks, as events just rapidly we move from Seems like in a one catastrophe to the next. Perhaps for you, the coronavirus presents its own set of anxieties. Maybe it's over the virus getting that. Maybe it's not that, but it's how is this all in the government and all this? How is it affecting my business or my paycheck or my work or I'm going to school and what does that look like and life in general? Then there's the worry of our families, those with children or maybe those with aging uh, parents or grandparents or we worry about our children's spiritual well-being or their physical safety. I didn't ask George, but George just got his license. 
There's a whole new realm of worry. It just, it's on and on. And then even, so that's just external. What about even just our internal? I mean, if, you, if you're a, a wife, am I being a good enough wife? Am I, am I being a good enough husband? Am I leading my family? Am I being a good father? Am I leading well? And the anxiety of those things. Or what do others think of me? What does God think of me? We can worry about our own salvation. Am I really saved? And there's anxiety. Have I covered enough things to gather us all into one tent of worry? Uh, We could probably go around. I think all of us, if we're honest, we could all share something, some different thing that just has us anxious. And it's probably different for each one of us. Worry and anxiety presents its own form of turbulence in our lives, doesn't it? It's the jolting concerns. They seem to interrupt an otherwise peaceful flight, right? You're, you're, you're peaceful at sleep and you wake up in the morning. Um, if you're like me, and this is a bad, this is a, I'm not saying this is a good trait. If you're like me, it, it's almost like you kind of review, what was I worrying about yesterday? I want to make sure that I'm still worrying about the same thing today, so don't leave it behind. That's, you know, we wake up with that maybe. But praise God today, praise God that in His perfect Word, He addresses our need. I don't want to miss that. God addresses our need. What God shares today from His Word via Paul, writing to the Philippians, it's an act of grace to sinners like you and me. God is gracious in these verses. He's gracious in all of Scripture. Psalm 146 or 5, whatever it was. He's gracious in all of the words of what He's written. And He's gracious today. He doesn't leave us in our anxiousness. Well, I hope you make it. I hope you get to the end. I know it's just part of life. Just kind of, kind of hang in there. Be tough. Be strong. But He addresses it head on, directly to us that we might experience His peace. Well, the command is clear in the beginning of verse 6. Look at it again. The simple phrase, do not be anxious about anything. Call it anxiousness, anxiety, worry, and and over-concern. Paul makes a broad statement here, be not anxious really about anything. Thing. Listen, similar words. Jesus says, Matthew 6 25. I read somewhere maybe Paul is kind of borrowing from this, maybe in a, in a way. It's, Jesus says this. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Same word we're seeing in verse 6. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And later on in verse 34, Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious. Same Greek word, again, same root. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So the clear command here is to not be anxious. But if you're thinking along the way in Philippians, there are times when it would seem Scripture seems to endorse a certain anxiousness. Hear me out on this. In, in Philippians 2.20, Paul speaks of Timothy 
And he said there, Timothy had a genuine concern for the people of Philippi. Remember when we looked at Timothy? He's got a genuine concern. Guess what? Same root word as do not be anxious here. So Timothy's got a sense of anxiousness for the people of Philippi. And Paul talks about it in the same letter where he's saying, uh, do not be anxious for anything. So how do we think about anxiousness here? How do we think about this? I, I don't think Paul here is advocating kind of this, a careless uh, existence, kind of saying, you know, don't be anxious. In other words, just kind of whatever's going to be will be. I don't need to work for food. It'll just show up, right? I don't have to do anything. I'll just lie around. Nothing ought to concern me. I, I don't think so. We, we need to be concerned in a, in a right way for others or concerned we I need to work for food, that sort of idea. It would seem the line then from from a a good anxiousness, if you hear that correctly, to an anxiousness we must avoid. That line is crossed when the cares ultimately become dependent on us and not the Lord. So worry says, worry, anxiousness, I can control the situation. Somehow, right? I must act. I must resolve this situation by my own will and my own wits. I've got to think this through. Whereas godly anxiousness, if we call it that, takes those same cares, but it changes the focus. What's the focus? From I, I must act, to God, you must act. I will work for food, but Lord, we look to you to provide ultimately what I will eat or ultimately fill in the blank of your situation. Paul Miller, he wrote a book called A Praying Life. We've got extra copies if if you're interested today. I'll mention him a couple times. But he defines anxiety as, quote, self on its own. Anxiousness is self on its own. Isn't that really what worry is? It's, It's us on our own with no hope of God trying to sort out how I am going to solve fill in the blank of your issue of whatever is anxiousness. So bad anxiousness bears burdens alone. It tries to handle the turbulence by itself. It seeks to control what in fact it has no control over, as one uh, commentator put it in, in, in a sense in those words. It's really the opposite of faith in God, isn't it? Some unbelief in there. But again... God in His grace, in His Word, through Paul, right here, He gives us the way of faith. And that's the next line. It's prayer. Look at the, the last part of verse 6. So, do not be anxious about anything, but... And this is a big one. If you could put in exclamation mark, this is a bigger one. It's not just, hey, by the way, here's a, here's a good idea, a good little worry tip. It's No, it's do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul now counters his admonition to be anxious about anything. See that? Don't be anxious about anything. With another all-encompassing word connected to prayer, but in everything. So, be anxious in nothing or do not be anxious in anything, but in everything by prayer and so forth, present your request to God. There's a shift from reliance upon self, self self-faith to reliance upon 
God, true faith. And it's by these means of prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. Now, it's hard for me to distinguish here, maybe I just didn't study it long enough, the the difference between prayer and supplication. There might be some subtleties, definition alone. Prayer is is making a petition uh, to God, whereas it seems the word supplication has with it this, this making an urgent request of God. So maybe prayer is the general term. Supplication is a little more it's urgent. Lord, I need, I'm not going to make it. I need you. This supplication uh, to God. Both are centered on calling on God Himself. A couple other verses from Scripture. Psalm 62.8 calls us to trust in God and, quote, pour out your heart before him. Jesus says, John 16, 23, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of my father in my name, he will give it to you. Or Daniel 9, going back, Old Testament, uh, he, he prays there. there. There's a kind of a confessional prayer. He's both confessing the Lord. He confesses God as the great and awesome God. So there's that type of confession, but he's also confessing the sin of the people. Lord God, we have sinned. There's all these kind of flavors of prayer. So within, within prayer, you've got pouring out your heart to God. There's, there's asking, there's trusting, there's confessing. It's prayer. And then, and then Paul puts prayer and supplication in the context of a great, and, and I would say, myself included, a very underutilized aspect of prayer, thanksgiving. So he puts prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. I thought we were talking about anxiousness. What is thankfulness? How does that connect with it? Thankfulness, thanksgiving, I think it really fuels our faith, doesn't it? It recalls the provisions of God from the past, and brings them forward to our present minds. So in one sense, if, uh, if prayer and supplication, if they reach forward to situations, problems of concern, I'm looking at, I got this test tomorrow, whatever it is, this thing's happening, I'm about to go meet so-and-so, kind of looking forward. Thanksgiving looks to the past and remembers and praises God. And be it the distant past, be it the near past, the past fuels faith for the future. The author of Lamentations says this. He says, but this I call to mind. Right? I think there's a sense of remembering. I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. What's great is your faithfulness. And he says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. That feeling, that, that commending, as we read from Psalm uh, 146, I believe, that commending of one, of one generation to the next, which is what Sunday school here, we're hoping to do it. There's a new generation we want to raise for Beth- Bethany. That our children, all some 50 of them that are here, would hear the works of God and praise His name and grow. And they too would remember, oh yeah, I learned that. Oh yeah, God is faithful to His promise. His name is majestic. He will provide. He's the God of the Old, the God of the New Testament. 
Well, ultimately, verse 6 lands on this, this final verb here of let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests be made known to God by prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Those are the means, but it's really making our requests, I think, known to God. Taking those burdens, casting them on God. But we might ask, I don't know if you're asking this, but you could. Doesn't God already know what I need? Right? Why do I need to tell Him? Doesn't God know everything? Well, Psalm 139 says, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. And then verse 4 says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it all together. So before I even pray and make known to you anything, you know everything, I'm going to pray. A couple thoughts. If God already knows, why, why pray? What's that about? A couple thoughts in light of the fact that God knows everything. This is not exhaustive, just some couple thoughts. Number one, to just we could end with number one and not go further, but well, a few other thoughts. Number one, it's commanded. Pray. Do it. God says, do this. So we go, yes, Lord, gladly obeying. I don't need to understand. Well, if you know, how do you know? If I say, then how does that work? And all these questions that come up, we can ask those and try to sort them out and figure them out. We'll give it some. It's commanded. It's a command. First Thessalonians 5.17, very short verse to memorize. Pray without ceasing. Command, pray. You pray without ceasing. Number two, So it's commanded. Number two, thoughts. Because God knows all, He has all we need. This is not original with me, but if God knows all, He has all we need. This should encourage us rather than discourage us from prayer that God knows all things. Listen to how one author, a guy named Bingham Hunter, I think it's a book called The God Who Hears. Listen to how he puts it. Because your heavenly Father knows before you ask... He never gets surprised by your request. This is good news. And finds it necessary. So he never gets surprised by your request and finds it necessary to send you a form letter saying your answer is backordered. I love how he puts that. He already has everything you will ever need. If God does not answer your petition, it is not because what you ask is out of stock. He's not a giant Amazon in the sky. Whoa, you asked for that. I, where did that go? He has it all. He knows all. And we can come to Him. God has on hand all of what we need. And nothing, I think it's, it's the, the author's point, nothing we ask is going to surprise God. So you can ask anything. It's not going to surprise Him. Like, I wish you wouldn't. We ask, oh Lord, I'm just struggling. You know, I think some of the, the most meaningful prayers are not, right, lofty, high, big words. It's just our need, Lord, this is what I need. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with, with food or, or whatever the thing is of anxiousness. Well, number three, let me connected. Why pray if God knows everything? It's what children do. It's what children of God do. We've taught Esther the more please. If any of you parents, did you do some sign language with your kids? So Esther's got this down, even though she's gaining more words every 
every week it seems like, but she's got the more, this is more please. Have you ever seen Esther walking around? This is, she's asking, she's going more please. And we, we know in a sense, I mean, we ask her, what do you, you want some more cereal? Yeah, yeah. Do you want some more? Yeah. Do you want this? No. And so you got, yeah, no down. But it's more, she asks like a child. It's part of a relationship of communication. So praying, supplication, thanksgiving, making known our requests. It's the act of children dependent, not independent, dependent on their father. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says, Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Again, Paul Miller puts it this way. We become anxious when we take a godlike stance occupying ourselves with things too great for us. We return to sanity by becoming like little children resting on our mothers or fathers lap take refuge in the one who knows your needs before you even speak them and enjoy his gracious call to cry out to him anyway this god that knows everything could say i know all of it don't talk to me i don't have time he invites by grace to let your request be made known to him because he loves you well verse 7 then has the glorious result. The result is verse 7. And there's security. There's a glorious result and security in turbulence of anxiety, a result and security of resting in God via prayer. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anxiety says, I, I, that's... (laughs) I understand the situation. I must deal with this turbulence in my own understanding. I've got to figure this out. Where is it coming from? I mean, the airplane illustration, you think of turbulence. How do you figure out where the... I mean, you can guess, but it's really hard to pin down just where it comes from. And yet we think, I'm going to figure this turbulence. I can, I can think it. I can, I can figure this out. But when God's people pray, there's a peace beyond surpassing our understanding. Prayer is the doorway to acknowledge that, God, you know all things. Lord, your will, your perfect will is going to be accomplished no matter what. Nothing can disrupt, Lord, your good and right purposes. That's what prayer says to God. In essence, prayer acknowledges his almighty, sovereign rule over any and all everything situations. We praise the Lord that He is that kind of God, the God, the Almighty. So the result of prayer is this this peace, surpassing all understanding. But there's also a security in prayer, isn't there? There's this word guarding. God's going to guard hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The the word for guard here has with it the idea of, of guarding or to set a garrison, like a like a protection, a group of protection. One the One commentator, Walter Hansen, says this. He explains it. Paul's image of guarding, you know, our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, comes from the presence of the Roman garrison 
housed in Philippi to keep the peace of Rome. Remember, Philippi is a Roman colony, so Roman garrison there to protect the peace, the Pax Romana, for the benefit of the Roman Empire. They're sent to, to guard this peace, this place. And then he goes on to say, the garrison guarding the Roman peace could only exert external pressure, but God's peace guarded the interior lives, the hearts and minds of believers in Christ. So how how does Christ guard our hearts and minds? And I think once again we see Paul cannot stray far from living in Christ Jesus, right? Anxiety, worry, prayer, they all come back to the fundamental relationship, this life in Christ, this surpassing worth. Paul has everything he needs in Christ. Should he face death? I've got Christ. Persecution? I have Christ. So truly, in Christ, if we're in Christ, do any of us have anything we need to be fearful about or be anxious about? He knows our needs. He knows our sin. He knows us on our worst day. He died for sinners in love that we might live with Him forever. So if we are in Christ, if that's our identity, he, who is our righteousness, I appreciate Eric last week bringing that out. Who's righteous? How can I pray in a righteous way? Christ is our righteousness. It lands on Him. Then I am guarded, heart and mind, by who? By the great shepherd of the sheep. And therefore, now here's Psalm 23 in terms of I am guarded by Christ. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Think of all this guarding heart and mind in Christ. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's hope in Christ. And lasting peace in turbulent times, turbulent times like anxiety and worry, is found as we pour out our hearts to God in prayer, and experience His great peace in Christ Jesus. I love again what Walter Hansen writes here. Hear him out. He says, God's peace is not the result of the power of our prayers. We need to hear this. It's not the result of the power of our prayers or the effectiveness of our prayers. He goes on to say, prayer is our openness about our needs before God, our emptiness in His presence, our absolute dependence upon Him, with an attitude of constant thanksgiving and complete trust. When we pray with that attitude, the focus is not at all upon what we are doing or will do, but on what God will do. You see in this passage, who is doing the heavy lifting work in this passage? We're told, don't be anxious and pray. God's doing the work. God is doing the heavy work in Christ. So our task, forgo the anxiousness, 
Just make your request known to God. Speak to Him. Talk to me. Yet He's the one giving peace. He's promising this peace. God's promising a peace surpassing understanding, and He's promising to guard our hearts and minds in Christ. That's what He's promising to do. Praise the Lord who bears the heavy burdens. Well, a couple of thoughts as we close, just looking back on this. I have three here, a couple of thoughts. Number one in all of this first is do you have a relationship with God through Christ? One writer, Bob Kellerman, he speaks about life's ultimate fear, ultimate anxiety, and he brings up Martin Luther. He says, quote, Martin Luther, who struggled with anxiety, that's good news, Okay, for us, okay, people of all shapes, we don't get beyond it, it seems like. He struggled with anxiety, noted that to deal effectively with life's daily fears, we must first deal with life's ultimate fear. Hebrews 2.15 explains that ultimate fear, or Hebrews 2.15, let me start over, explains that ultimate fear. Here was what it is. Apart from Christ, we live every day in slavery to the fear of death separation from God. My ultimate anxiety is my fear that I will never find peace with God, never be accepted by God. That's ultimate anxiety, right? That's our sin. It's alienated us from God, made us His enemies, and yet Romans 5 says God demonstrates His love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The ultimate fear is death, Not just dying and then not existing. It's death, eternal separation from God, and everlasting torment, what we call hell. Salvation is to call out to God in prayer. Maybe a short prayer. Lord, save me, a sinner. That's who I am. I'm a sinner. Save me. Be reconciled to God. That's ultimate anxiety. Where are you at? Do you know Jesus? Number two, might be obvious from the text, we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to do this. And we're going to stumble in this. The worry will overcome us, but it doesn't have to. I don't think Paul's calling us to an unattainable command. Don't be anxious. (laughs) Good luck with that. Hope it works out for you. He's, He's commanding it. God's commanding. It's a command made sure in Christ. It's secured by His blood and righteousness in which we're God's forever. We don't have to be anxious, but we've got to remember the context. It's more than just do not be anxious. When I was sick, and maybe if you're sick, you can only think about a few things. At least for me, I'm a terrible sick person. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty worthless and just feel like life is just about over and all these types of things. You can only think, and I'm thinking, I've got to preach on this passage. Don't be anxious. Right? And I, it just kept playing. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. That's true. That's a command. But we cannot separate it from pray and make your request known to God. It's not just, well, have you been anxious? Well, you failed today. It's do not be anxious and Give those requests to God. I think the focus is less on anxious. It's, okay, that's where you're at. You don't need to be there and look to God. Lord, I'm struggling with this. I'm sick. The situation is conflict. Whatever it is. 
We don't have to be anxious. And number three, which is really what I shared, God has fashioned a way out. It's not flashy. It's not a shot you take. It's not something you've got to go to the doctor for. It's not the latest and greatest fad. It's simply prayer. It's talking to your Heavenly Father. I want to end with a quote, one more quote from Paul Miller, and then I'm over. He gives a vision, and I want, I want this to set a vision for you, what, what a praying life can look like, and I appreciate the way he phrases this. It's a little, it's a little long. It's not very long, but I want to share it with you as, as setting a vision. What can a prayer life look like in light of anxiousness or fill in the blank? He says, when you pray continuously... Moments when you are prone to anxiety can become invitations to drift into prayer. Ever thought about anxiousness that way? When you're anxious, praise God, I've got an opportunity to drift into prayer. I'll continue. He says a traffic jam, a slight from a friend, or a pressure deadline can serve as a door to God. You'll find yourself turning off the car radio to be with your father. You'll wake up at night and discover yourself praying. It will be like breathing. When you stop trying to control your life and instead allow your anxieties and problems to bring you to God in prayer, you shift from worry to watching. You watch God weave His patterns in the story of your life. Instead of trying to be out front, designing your life, you realize you are inside God's drama. As you wait, you begin to see Him work. And your life begins to sparkle with wonder. You are learning to trust again. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, what an invitation You give us that we have missed for so long. that somehow our anxiousness, our worry is a door to experience you in such a greater way. Lord, I do not look at it that way. I look at anxiousness as something to get over, to be done with, to move on from. Lord, forgive us for where we have not seen you working, working to drive us back to you once again. It's your gracious call to trust you to make our petition before you, to, our, to make our urgent request for you, for you to act, to thank you, to remember your works of old and to say, Lord, I've seen you work week after week after week. Why am I doubting again? You're faithful. Your mercies are new every morning, though the troubles are new every morning. Lord, we praise you for this graciousness you offer to us in prayer. May we utilize it unceasingly. May we pray without ceasing. We ask in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.